The text of the sermon is Genesis 49, the verses 29 to 33. Let's read that now. It's about the death of Jacob. Then he gave them these instructions, I am about to be gathered to my people, bury me with my fathers in the cave in the field of Ephron the Hittite, the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre in Canaan, which Abraham bought as a burial place from Ephron the Hittite, along with the field, there Abraham and his wife Sarah were buried, there Isaac and his wife Rebekah were buried, and there I buried Leah. The field and the cave in it were bought from the Hittites. When Jacob had finished giving instructions to his sons, he drew his feet up into the bed, breathed his last, and was gathered to his people. Let's listen to the word of God and let's sing in response of the sermon of hymn 53. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, probably the most well-known question and answer of the Heidelberg Catechism is the very first one. What is your only comfort in life and death? The answer, in short, is that you belong to Christ Jesus. That is your only comfort. When you look at the long answer, you discover that this comfort touches, touches on your past, your present, and your future. In terms of your past, you have the conviction to say that all your sins are paid for by the precious blood of Christ. In terms of your present, you have the certainty to say that Christ preserves your life so that in all things God works for your salvation. Meanwhile, in terms of your future, you have, through the working of the Holy Spirit, the assurance of eternal life. It is the assurance of eternal life that allows each and every believer to speak about comfort both in life and death. There is comfort in death. And what is your comfort in the face of death? Your comfort is that your faithful Savior has promised you eternal life. He has promised that he will raise you from the dead and that you will live with him with with him eternally on the new heaven and the new earth. And because the Lord is faithful to his promises, not only can you live in hope, but you can die in hope. And so I proclaim to you God's word this morning under the following theme. Because the Lord is faithful to his promises, you can look forward in hope. And we will pay attention to two points. First, the first point, hope's expression, and the second point, hope's realization. The first point. Back to Genesis 48, verse 21, Jacob says to his son Joseph, I'm about to die. Jacob's awareness that he is about to die leads him to gather his sons around him. Some things never change. 
When a man knows he is about to die, he often takes the opportunity to gather his children around him, and often he will talk about the future. He will encourage his believing sons and daughters to remain strong in the faith and to hold on to the Lord's covenant promises. But Jacob does more than talk about the future. He prophesies about the future. Genesis 49 verse 1 says that he gathered his sons around him so that he could tell them what would happen to them in days to come. Led by the Holy Spirit, Jacob can speak of distant events, even proclaiming the gospel of Christ as he bestows his blessing to Judah. After giving the blessing appropriate to each son, Jacob once again says he is about to die. Chapter 49, verse 29, I am about to be gathered to my people. And and then his concerns turn to the more immediate future. He leaves specific instructions concerning his burial. At first glance, you might think, so what? Often a dying person will leave specific instructions concerning their burial. Often they will have made the arrangement ahead of time. This happens all the time, so what is the big deal? Why does the Holy Spirit include this conversation in Scripture? But we must understand the thrust of the passage if we look at it as just another dying man's instructions to his sons about his burial arrangement. Rather, the thrust of the passage is that in the, in the instructions of a dying Jacob to his sons, He expresses his hope in the fulfillment of God's promises to him. Let us consider more closely what Jacob says. Beginning in the middle of verse 29, he says, Bury me with my fathers in the cave in the field of Ephron the Hittite, the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre in Canaan, which Abraham bought as a burial place from Ephron the Hittite, along with the field. There Abraham and his wife Sarah were buried. There Isaac and his wife Rebekah were buried. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave in it were bought from the Hittites. Again, at first glance you might think to yourself that there is nothing particular special here. Apparently the family has a burial that that would like to be buried in. Apparently, the family has a burial plot that dad would like to be buried in. He wants to be buried beside his wife, his parents, and his grandparents. That is perfectly understandable, even if the request is a rather demanding one, given how long the journey it is from Egypt to the family burial plot in Canaan. But... A couple of things about Jacob's instructions should give you reason to pause before coming to the conclusion that an old dying man is being sentimental and wishing to be buried in the family burial plot. One thing that stands out is that two times Jacob specifically mentions that Abraham bought the family burial plot from the Hittites. And three times in total, he mentions that the Hittites formerly owned the land. The other thing that stands out is that Jacob wishes to be buried with Leah. If Jacob were being sentimental, you might expect him to be buried with Rachel, 
the wife he loved, but it is his wish to be buried with Leah in the family plot that Abraham bought from the Hittites. With the double reference to Abraham buying from the Hittites the field with the cave as a family burial place, the Holy Spirit is waving a big red flag pointing you back to Genesis 23. So back we go for a moment to Genesis 23. The situation there is that Sarah has died and Abraham needs a place to bury her. There is only one problem. Abram is an alien and stranger in the land of Canaan. He doesn't own property. He has nowhere to bury his wife because he owns no land. So he approaches the people who own the land, the Hittites, and he asks them to sell him some property so that he can bury Sarah. What follows in Genesis 23 is a long detailed account of the negotiation. So some of it may confuse you. After all, if some landowner was offering you land for free, you wouldn't wait two seconds to snap up the land. But not Abraham. The one constant that comes through all the details is that Abraham insists on buying the land. He insists on paying full value for the land. And so, at the end of it all, Abraham has a piece of land to bury Sarah, and Ephraim has 400 shekels, shekels of silver. Cultural uniqueness of the transaction aside, again you might say, so what? Why does the Holy Spirit include this long story about Abraham buying land? Why does he specifically say in Genesis 23 verse 17 and 20 that Abraham became the deeded landowner? To understand this, you need to back up one more step. And that brings us to Genesis 12 verse 7 where the Lord appears to Abraham in the land of Canaan and saying to him, To your offspring I will give you this land. And then again in chapter 15 verse 7, the Lord promises to give Abraham the land of Canaan to take possession of it. God has promised Abraham and his offspring the land of Canaan. He has promised them possession of the land. And what happens in Genesis 23 is that God's promise to Abraham begins to be fulfilled. He comes into possession of a small piece of one land. He becomes a deeded landowner and in this moment we see that God is beginning to fulfill his covenant promises to Abraham. In other words, this particular plot of land holds out to Abraham and his descendants the hope that God will one day give them all the rest of the land according to his covenant promise. Meanwhile, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob remain aliens and strangers in the land. Indeed, at the time of his death, Jacob is not even in the land of Canaan. He dwells as an alien and stranger in faraway Egypt, and yet he wants his body to go back to the land. He gives instructions to his sons that he is to be buried in the family burial plot in Canaan, not for sentimental reasons, not because of tradition, but because of hope. A hope that is founded on God and his promises, a hope that is founded on the Lord and his great faithfulness. In Hebrews 11, the verses 1 and 2 we read, 
Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commanded for. In the burial instructions of Jacob we see faith. We see a man who says, Bury me with my fathers in the cave in the field of Ephron the Hittite, because he is sure of what he hopes for. He is a man who is certain of what he does not see. He, the present reality is that he does not see the land belonging to him and his children. After all, the whole family is in Egypt, but he hopes for God to give his descendants the whole land of Canaan. He sees a time in the future when God will fulfill his promise to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Later, his son Joseph would express the same hope, for at the end of chapter 50, the deathbed scene is replayed again. Like his father before him, Joseph says in Genesis 50 verse 24, I am about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. In that hope, founded on the Lord's faithfulness to his covenant promises, Joseph died like his father Jacob. <coughs> From out of our text then, there arises the theme, because the Lord is faithful to his promises, you can look forward in hope. Which raises the question, what promises has the Lord made to you who belong to him? He has promised you the same thing he, uh, he promised Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. He has promised you land. You see, brothers and sisters, just like the patriarchs, you are aliens and strangers on this earth. This earth is not your permanent home. This earth is a temporary home. You are passing through like Abraham, Isaac and Jacob passed through the land of Canaan. Consequently, your eyes must be fixed on the eternal home the Lord has promised you the new heavens and the new earth where you will dwell eternally with the Lord your God and he with you. Your eyes must be fixed on what is unseen. You must hope because the Lord remains faithful to his promises. For Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the sign of the Lord's faithfulness was their burial plot in Canaan. But what about you? What is the sign of the Lord's faithfulness to you? His sign to you is twofold. The first sign is the burial plot of the patriarch's point to the burial plot of Jesus. As a sign of the Lord's faithfulness to you, there is the burial plot of Jesus Christ. This burial plot was not in the cave of Ephron the Hittite, but it was in the cave of Joseph of Arimathea. Concerning Jesus, the scriptures testify that on the third day after his death, his burial plot was found to be empty. Why? Because in the words of the angel to the women, he has risen. Yes, Jesus Christ has risen. The first fruits of all those who fall asleep in him. He has risen and given you hope concerning your resurrection. And having risen from the dead, he ascended into heaven, where he is busy preparing your future home. The second sign of the Lord's faithfulness to you 
is that he has poured out on you his Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 1 verse 14 that the Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's, who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. You have the empty tomb of Christ. You have the gift of the Holy Spirit. You have the beginning of the fulfillment of the Lord's promise to you. You have the deposit. You have the assurance that you will receive what he has promised you. And now, to return to our theme, because he is faithful to his promises, you can look forward in hope. We have seen in the text how Jacob expresses his hope in giving instructions to be buried in the land God has promised to him and his offspring. But how do you, in the face of death, express your hope? By choosing to have your body buried in the ground. What, is, what hope is expressed when you choose to have your body buried in the ground? The hope of the resurrection and the life everlasting. Burial is an act of faith. Burial is an act of hope, both on the part of the one who chooses to be buried and on the part of the family who does the burying. In hope a seed is sowed into the ground, believing that what is sown perishable will be raised imperishable. Believing that what is sown in this honor will be raised in glory. Believing that what is sown in weakness will be raised in power. Believing that what is sown a natural body is raised a spiritual body. Believing that with such a body you will inherit the kingdom of God, the new heaven and the new earth which the Lord has promised to all who belong to him. How wonderful it is to look forward to this hope being realized. Now, I know that you are used to being disappointed by hope. You have hoped for many things in life, only to discover in the end that your hopes were not realized. Rather, they were dashed and you were sorely disappointed. With that in mind, let us return to the hope expressed by Jacob in our text. Was his hope realized? In the closing moments of this sermon, I ask your attention for, for that question that we turn to our second point. Jacob says in the beginning of our text, I am about to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers. The author says at the end of our text that Jacob breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Jacob died in hope and he joined the saints of old who were waiting for the fulfillment of God's promises concerning the land of Canaan and concerning a better country, the heavenly one. When we turn to the next chapter, we discover that Jacob's sons carried out his instructions. Genesis 50 verse 13, they carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre, which Abram had bought as a burial place from Ephron the Hittite, along with the field. But this is not the end of the story, it is the end of our text. But it is not the end of the story, for a question lingers from out of our text. The question is, 
was Jacob's hope realized, did God fulfill his promise to give to Jacob's children the land of Canaan? Yes, although it was long after the journey of Jacob's son to bury their father. Four hundred years later, God brought the children of Israel up out of the land of Egypt and into the land he had promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Under a man named Joshua, Israel received the whole land of Canaan. God fulfilled his promise. Jacob's hope was realized. It turned out that Jacob's hope was well founded. And what about you and your hope? Is it well founded? Will it be realized? Yes, says Paul, says Paul in Romans 5, verse 5. The hope we have in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Yet we must recognize that we are still in the midst of our long journey, even as the children of Jacob had to wait a long time for their father's hope to be realized, so must we. And as we wait, we experience suffering. As we wait, we outwardly waste away. As we wait, we watch loved ones die and we bury them in the ground. As we wait, we die. And sometimes those crosses and losses lead us to question our hope. Sometimes those things cause us to lose hope as we wonder if the Lord will keep his promise. However, as the Apostle Peter reminds us in 2 Peter 3, we must not conclude from the length and difficulty of the journey that the Lord is slow in keeping his promise. He will keep his promise. Your hope will be realized. It will not disappoint you. Nevertheless, for now, you remain aliens and strangers on this earth. You remain on that journey towards the promised land. But to return to the theme of hope, there, is, there has gone one ahead of you, an other man named Joshua, Jesus, whose name means the Lord saves. He has died with his precious blood and has paid for your sins. He has risen from the dead and ascended into heaven. And this man Joshua, your faithful savior, is right now busy conquering all the enemies of the kingdom of God. And when he is done, when he has destroyed the last enemy, which is death, then he will come on the clouds of heaven, and those who have fallen asleep in him will rise, and the living will be transformed and all the saints from both the Old and New Covenant will finally have their hope realized. You will receive a new heaven and a new earth. The Lord is faithful to his promise. Because the Lord is faithful to his promise, you can look forward in hope. That is the message of the Holy Spirit this morning. Look forward in hope. Beloved, continue to look forward in hope not just in life, but also in that moment when you breathe your last and are gathered to your fathers. Amen.